Thank you for downloading the One Church Podsmead podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. To find out more about life at One Church, visit us online at thisisonechurch.com. Um, so we've been doing this series called Clear the Runway. Everybody say, Clear the Runway. Say it a bit more passionately. Clear the runway. Oh, come on. There you are, Podsmead. I knew you were in there somewhere. Clear the runway. And uh, Liam preached so good last week, didn't he? Did Liam preach good last week? He was very, very good. He was incredible. Um, So if you didn't hear it, get it on the podcast because it was absolutely amazing. But this is this is the verses that we're building this series around. And it's in Ephesians 3 um, uh, verses uh, 16. And it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide how long how high and how deep the love of Christ is and this whole series is about this idea of creating a space in your world where God can dwell A dwelling place is a living place. A dwelling place is where you hang out. A dwelling place is is a space that feels comfortable enough for people to hang around. I want to have a home where people feel comfortable enough to hang out there. I love the fact that on New Year's Eve, I had to kick Simon and a bunch of other people out of my house at half past three in the morning because it was a place where they were like, we can dwell here. Yeah, okay, you've overstayed your welcome, time to go. But we do, we spend a lot of time creating spaces in our homes for people to dwell. I like the fact that, I love it when when we have people around for dinner, I love to lay a table that looks beautiful and, and I make the effort because I want it to feel like a place where people can dwell, they want to hang out. I, I, I've purposely got loads of places to sit in my lounge because I want a lounge full of people as often as possible. Liam doesn't want that. He's just like Letty. He's like, go away. And um, he, he's an introvert, so he, he's less so. So we have to fight for time in the week and stuff. But we love to have a house where people feel like they can dwell. They can belong. They have space here. And I was thinking about this in our lives and how often are we spending time enough to create a space where Jesus would like to dwell, where Jesus would like to hang out. Because if we want to make Jesus the centre of our world, we've got to create a space. We've got to create an environment where he wants to hang out, where he wants to dwell. So we're going to look at that today. Is that okay? Yes. Beautiful. So um, you can turn in your Bibles ahead of time um, to Hosea uh, chapter 2. But I want you to think about you and your home. So I want to think, maybe think, think about your actual house and then uh, maybe think about your heart and your life. We talk about the heart as this place where something dwells, don't we? We, we use that analogy. We use that example. It's the center of who you are. It's, it's the seat of your emotions. It's the seat of your being. And that's your heart. So think of your heart as your home this morning as we go through this. And I, I, I called this message a control freaks clear runway 
a control freak's clear runway. Because we are all born with this thing in us to control our environment, aren't we? We all, from a very, very early age, start to want to control the environment around us. At the moment, my sister's little girl, Olivia, she likes to control the hours, the small hours of the morning. This is my time, mummy, and you will be up all night with me too. We were all born with this thing of wanting to control our environment, wanting to make sure everything suits our needs and our desires. For various different reasons, those needs and those desires change over time, but we're all in this scenario where we want to control everything around us. And then all of a sudden we're faced with this choice where Jesus says, I'm real, do you want me or not? And then suddenly our control freak's like, emergency, emergency, you've got to give over your life. And, and, And we get quite good at trying to do both. Jesus, I give you this part, but I don't want to give you this part. And we kind of grade ourselves in to letting go of stuff before God. So I wonder... Are there any people in the room and uh, in your heart life and in your home world, perhaps you're a hoarder? Any hoarders? Perhaps you're a hoarder. Because the thing with this is, is, is a hoarder's life and in your hoarder heart, what you're actually doing is filling that space with things that will not satisfy. You hope that it will. That was your... That was your intention in the first place, was that your heart would be filled with something that satisfies. But what actually happens is that your heart is not satisfied. Those things don't satisfy you. Perhaps for you, you have specific conditions in your heart. So you're not a hoarder, you're not overfilled, but you have specific conditions about where things go. My sister, um, Amy, she is a really, uh, she does incredible like interior design. Her house looks incredible. They bought it and they've done it up and it, it looks like, you could take pictures for a magazine in their house. Like Olivia's room is the cutest thing ever. And now I'm thinking about baby's rooms. So I'm like, Ames, what shall we do? <laughs> what shall we do? <laughs> and um, But she's really, really good at it. And, and my mum, um, uh, she has a lovely house and she's got lovely beautiful things but she's like I just don't like where anything is so she made Amy who was exhausted because she'd been up all night with Olivia go around her house she took all the ornaments off everywhere and then she made, made, put them all out and she was like right Ames if you can go and put them where you think they'll look nice and she went round and she put things in different places and so now mum's very specific about where things belong and uh, anybody else with me like that I have certain things I'm like no it doesn't so Liam keeps moving this thing that's on our dining room table and he keeps putting it in the middle of the table and it's just it shouldn't be there and uh but I have specific conditions about what things should look like and where things should be and if anybody moves those things around you're like oh that's really annoying so Chloe knows this well okay so uh Chloe's poor Chloe right so uh, she helps me loads on a Sunday and we're setting up specific things. And if, if something's slightly out of touch, I'm like, ooh. 
Chloe, can you go and turn that lamp round? <laughs> Move it this way an inch, that way an inch. And we used to have, do you remember before we got these pretty lamps, which need polishing, by the way? Um, <laughs> before we got those, we had these like tall stand-up ones, but they had a seam in them. And if that seam was ever on show, I literally, my little butt cheeks would go, <laughs> as I'm like, quick, somebody turn those things around. I can't look at them. But, but we can be like that in our life, can't we? If things are out of place in our hearts, if they're not quite right, if that relationship's not quite working, or uh, this thing, this issue is like, it's not somebody's moved something, or God asks you to give more than you would normally give, or he asks you to forgive more than you'd usually forgive, things get out of place in our little controlled environment called our heart. Because we were like that to be there, thank you very much. Don't touch it. Don't move it. But Jesus, I think he might think a little differently. You know, these specific conditions become items of security, distraction and illusion. See, you can have a really tidy and ordered house, but not necessarily a clean one. My house looks tidy most of the time, because I married Liam and he's amazing at tidying. But it doesn't mean it's clean. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> that defeats the object of my point, Liam. <laughs> but they're items, they're items of security, things that make us feel safe, that make us feel controlled and, and, and comfortable. This is my comfort zone here, Jesus. I don't want you to push further into stuff that's going on. Their distraction. If this is right, it's okay. If, if this thing is ordered, it's okay. If I, if I go through my daily routine as I do every day, then, then it distracts me from the issue that I should probably be dealing with that room in your house that you should probably be dealing with. We all have one of those. We're about to have another baby and we need to sort that room out because otherwise this baby's going to have nowhere to be. But it's those kind of spaces in our heart that need dealing with, that need attention. But if we have specific conditions, then it gives us enough time to be distracted from what we should really be dealing with. And illusion. Because to everybody else and everybody on the outside, everything looks really ordered and they've got it all together. But you and I both know that actually perhaps Jesus is talking to you about something in your world. But because everybody else doesn't know, because everything on the outside is okay, then it's all right. Then it's okay. Security, distraction and illusion. And then there's the fourth thing. Jesus says to us, are you avoiding empty? Perhaps actually the kind of home that Jesus would like to dwell in, the place that he would like to belong, isn't, isn't a place that is stuffed full of stuff that we hope will satisfy us like a hoarder's house. And it's not a place where we have specific conditions and specific items that have to be in certain places. Perhaps he, he doesn't want a house like my, my house. Maybe his house is a house that's supposed to be empty, that he's supposed to fill. 
perhaps that could be true. And we're going to try and find that out by reading and learning a little bit from Hosea today. Apologies for those of you that were in link last week because it's the same message. But um, different application. But uh, this is um, uh, a story um, and a few verses that actually, like, um, I discovered in my devotions and uh, as I was spending time with Jesus and it was a point in my life where I was just feeling a bit overstuffed, not just physically, but feeling a bit overstuffed, overfilled, like my life feels really full right now. I feel really overstretched. I feel really like, oh, and you know, you get to that point when you've overeaten and you're like, I feel sick. Anybody know what I'm saying? I, I've got this issue at the moment where um, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. All right, don't mock me because I know it's growing, but my eyes are bigger than my stomach. So even like, uh, so Sam, Miles, Miles, absolutely incredible. Sam and Ange just cooked for us all weekend and we had the most incredible food. But I, Sam kept giving me big portions because she knew I was hungry and I was like, I, I would be like going for it and I was like, I can't even eat this. <laughs> I thought I really wanted this and now I can't. So I took pizza home last night and I, had to, I ate it on the way home because they were like, you don't want the whole pizza, Lisa? It's <laughs> like, no, not today. But um, the truth is this, sometimes we can overeat to the point where we go, oh, I just feel sick. We think we want it. We think it's what we need. We think that that's how full we want to be. But actually, we overeat, we overstretch, and we end up saying, I am sick of this. And this is the scenario I was in, and these are some words that God spoke to me through Hosea. So just to give you an idea and an overview about Hosea, he was a prophet, a minor prophet in the Bible. So in the Old Testament, you can find there's different sections and you can find these this big section that's got all, all these prophets and stuff. And they're na- usually named after the prophet. And this is the book of Hosea. And Hosea, he was... Um, a prophet in the time when uh, the kingdom of Israel had split into two. So there was Israel and Judah. There was lots of unrest. The the people uh, kept going away from God and coming back again and going away from God and coming back again. And, and it was a, a really like difficult time in Israel's history. There was lots going on. And And God instructed Hosea, Hosea, I want you to do this thing for me. I want you to marry a prostitute. Now, prophets are usually a bit like mental anyway. But if a prophet of God came to Podsmead and said, "Um, God's instructed me to marry a prostitute, you'd be like, I don't think that was God. But we're in this scenario where Hosea has been instructed to marry a prostitute called Goma. And, um, and true enough, Goma um, uh, lives with Hosea and then goes off with other men and then comes back again and then goes off with other men and comes back again. And the whole story is a picture. It's a beautiful picture, actually, when you start to read it. It's a beautiful picture of how it's a faithful husband and his faithfulness overpowers the wife's unfaithfulness. And what it is, is it's a picture of God. We know God, he, Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. Yeah, he calls himself the groom. He is your husband and we are his wife. The bride, the church is the bride. And, and 
it's this picture of God saying, hey, I am going to be faithful to you. I'm going to remain in my promise towards you. And it doesn't matter how many times you go and come back, go and come back, go and come back, go and put your focus and your, on, and your attention on things that are not of me. Every time you do that, I am still here. I'm still rooted in love. I still have my promise towards you. I still love you. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I will be the same today, yesterday and forevermore. And it's this beautiful picture of how God's like, I'm not moving. I'm always here. And uh, so, but here are some words that um, are right in the center of all of this. And uh, so it's for chapter two from verse 14. And it says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. Love that that word's in the Bible. <laughs> What's that from? That's a from a... Miranda. Any Miranda fans in here? I'm going to allure her. Anyway, um, I will lead her into the wilderness. Not the most romantic of dates. I'm going to allure her. God's going to allure me to the wilderness. Not to Nando's? What's that about? Anyway, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give back her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond in the days of her youth as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Now this is like a funny set of verses and we're going to unpack them a little bit together. But, but I just find it like hilarious that God's choice of date... God's choice of direction was to bring, was to bring Goma into a place of emptiness. I want to bring you to a place of emptiness. I'm going to bring you into a spacious place. I'm going to bring you into this place that seems like a desert. It seems like it's empty. It seems like it's barren. It seems like there's nothing there. But actually, that's the place where I want to speak tenderly to you. And there I will speak tenderly to you. Like a tender word from God is the most incredible, powerful word ever. And he chooses to dwell in a wilderness place, in an empty place. And God spoke to me in that moment. And he said, Lisa, you need to stop avoiding empty. I want a clear runway. I want an empty space. Don't be afraid of letting me empty your world because actually what I want to fill your world with is a tender word. A tender word. But so often I fill my world with things that I think will satisfy me. I fill my world with things that give me a false sense of security. I fill my world with things that create an illusion. I fill my world with things that make me feel safe. But actually Jesus is saying, I want an empty place. I want a wilderness place because there, just like Liam painted that picture of God landing planes onto our runway last week, I want to land my words and I want to land my tender words towards you. Do you want to know what happens when God gives you a tender word? Let's, let's read it. Let's discover it together. And it says this in verse 15. From a tender word... There I will give back her vineyards. 
Right, okay, so on the face of it, that seems like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> I wouldn't mind a vineyard. Cliff Richard, he has a nice vineyard, doesn't he? I wouldn't mind a vineyard somewhere in the south of France. That would be lovely. But actually, what this means in the picture that God is painting is this. It's one of uh, sustenance. It's one of blessing. It's one of prosperity. It's one of like just overflowing, abounding love, abounding faithfulness, abounding all, all this incredible blessing that God wants to pour into your life. That's what comes from a tender word. So the plane that we want God to land in our world on our clear runway is a tender word because it brings a vineyard with it. It brings blessing and prosperity with it. Now, here's a really cool thing. So as I researched this, I discovered that the reason why he's talking about a vineyard is this. When Israel came out of Egypt, remember they were in slavery in Egypt, when they came out of Egypt and they walked into the promised land, you remember that some of the spies came back and they had such big grapes that they'd taken from the land, like they couldn't carry it, right? It was crazy, crazy. Imagine grapes that big. I, would, I don't think I fancy that. But anyway, uh, they come into this land and they're given this promised land and they inherit vineyards that they never had to plant. How cool is that? What a picture of grace. The blessing and the greatness in your life you never deserved and you never planted. That's grace. You didn't have to plant that prosperity. You didn't have to earn that blessing. You didn't have to work for that abundance. You didn't have to work for those things because you inherit it when you took Jesus into your house you inherited a vineyard that you never had to plant, a blessing that you never had to work for, you never had to plant. How cool is that? And then the next part says this, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor. What is this? Like, that's like weird. I don't know what that means, so I went and researched it. And the Valley of Achor is a place that was gloomy and muddy and dark. It doesn't sound great, does it? It's gloomy and muddy and dark. Muddy place that you'd have got stuck in, you wouldn't have wanted to cross. You know when, you, when you're going on a walk and it's been raining and you need to like avoid the muddy bits, so you kind of like climb up on the bank to go around. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you don't want to walk through the mud because you get stuck in the mud and you get covered in the mud. And this place, the Valley of Achor, was a muddy, gloomy place. But there's more to this than just the fact that it wasn't a nice place to be in. It was actually a place where a guy called Asian sinned when God again brought them out of um, Egypt and took them into their promised land and we know the story of the walls of Jericho they marched around them they came down we know the story and and they were to plunder everything but give it to God yeah but Asian he took a little for himself and he dug a hole in his tent and he buried it the treasure that he'd stolen and he put it under, even though God had instructed them to give it all to him. He took a little for himself. It was a place of sin. It was a place where Asian had to die because of his sin. It was that place. Everybody know what I mean by that place? We've all got a that place. You know the first thing that the enemy reminds you of? Straight after a victory. Oh yeah, but you did that. We all have a drawer at home. 
that we don't let any visitors go in because it's all full of junk and rubbish and stuff we can't let go of yet. We all have a that place, a that drawer full of rubbish. And we all have a that place in our heart. Oh, I don't want to let Jesus get there yet because that, that makes me feel sick thinking about it. I'm so ashamed of that place. I don't want to think about that place or, or there's a... a, a a relationship where I know I could fix it and I know I can make it better, but it's at that place, it's sore, it's uncomfortable. I'd rather ignore it than deal with it. It's a that place, it's a, a place where where brokenness is. It's a, it's a place where you're like, oh, I wish that never happened. I wish I never had to face that. Or maybe it's a thing that you know that God is calling you towards, but you don't want to step into it. It's a that place. Everybody has a that place. And for Israel, and in this moment, it was the Valley of Achor, a gloomy, muddy place. It's a place we avoid. We, we're afraid of being stuck in it, stuck in the mud. I've got a funny story. I, uh, me and my friend thought it'd be hilarious to like run across a tidal river that had gone out, and we just got stuck in the mud and uh, exposed for everybody to laugh at us. Literally, we were stuck right in the middle of this, in this seaside town in the middle of summer. <laughs> and, uh, but we can, we can fear getting stuck in the middle of our valley when actually God wants us to call, he's calling us to the other side. But we fear the, the shame and the embarrassment of the tourists that are watching from the side as you're trying to wade through this mud and it's up to your knees. We can, we can fear it, but what does God's tender wor word in a wilderness place do? It turns that place into a door of hope. What's a door? A door's a passing place. A door's an entrance way. A door is, it, it opens up something new it opens up a new room it opens up a, a new experience it takes you from inside to outside it's a door it's a passing place it's a through place it's not a place you hang out unless it's an earthquake apparently it's a good idea to be under a door frame in an earthquake there you go top tip there was an earthquake here wasn't there yesterday <laughs> did you feel it i didn't i was in newant i was in newant i didn't feel it at all you don't feel anything in newant okay and, and the truth is this, that's what a door is. It's a through place. It's a passing place. You're not supposed to hang around there. You're not supposed to hang around there. And God says, I'm going to turn that, that place that you've been avoiding, that muddy place that you think you're going to get stuck in, I'm going to turn that place into a door of hope into a door of hope. And do you know what? I think that as we give God space and we empty our world and we clear our runway and he speaks his tender word to us, what's going to happen? He's going to turn that place into a door of hope. Yeah. Do you know the great thing about a door is it's not just one person that uses a door. There's a whole bunch of people that you don't even know about yet. But as you face your that place, other people are going to walk through the door too. How cool is that? How cool is that, that we get to face down these places that are that place? And God says, trust me, I'm going to turn it into a door of hope that you can walk through. That you can walk through. And then, do you know what? Everybody else is going to walk through too. 
all the other people in your world that you have no idea are dealing with the same thing as you. So that place, every time you apply something that you hear on Sunday, do you know what you're doing? You're setting a beautiful table for somebody else to enjoy. It's not just about you. It's everything to do with you. But it's not just about you. How cool is that? A door of hope. Your life, a door of hope. And then it says, and there she will respond as in the days of her youth and as in the days that she came up out of Egypt. What does that mean? In the days of her youth. Anyone remember the days of their youth? Anyone forgotten what the... <laughs> Sorry. And... um. <laughs> I'm, I feel I'm still in my 20s, so I'm still going with the days of her youth, but Liam's, he, he's a little bit beyond that now, so not quite so youthful. And uh, <laughs> he's not even here to defend himself. Uh, so the days of her youth, what's that all about? There's, oh, there's something about the days of your youth. I, I, like, it's really sad. I've already started reflecting on the days of my youth. And um, I went and saw my best friend in the whole wide world, like my oldest friend. And um, she lives in Eastbourne, but we both grew up in Cornwall together. And um, like, I haven't seen her for 18 months. And it's been way, 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 way too long. And um, so I was like, Right, I'm off this week. I'm driving to Eastbourne. I literally did it in a day. I know, Bob. Thank you. And uh, I, I uh, and it was just the best ever. And you know when you get together with old friends and you're like, oh, do you remember when like we did that thing? And and like I, I know that I'm going to have a good time when Coke comes out of my nose because she makes me laugh. You know, like it's it was one of those ones where we're laughing about things we did, and uh, we've got like three. Well, three and a bit kids between us and um and we were just like telling all these stories and like you can see the kids like looking at us like you did what and um and uh and it was just the best fun ever and, and like you know you get that kind of like youthful spirit in you because you start remembering those things and you it starts to like excite you and get you like pumped about stuff and and I I had that experience on Wednesday and and you know God he, he wants the same for you. He doesn't want us to ever progress from that youthful spirit towards him. That moment when you first realised God is real. Do you remember that? Do you remember the moment? Take a second. Do you remember the moment when you first realised, oh, he's taken all my sin. He's real. Oh my goodness, can you remember for some of you it would have been like that, almost like a burning in your heart, do you remember that? Or the first time somebody prayed for you and it felt like goosebumps all over your body. And Do you remember that when you realised, I don't have to live with that sin and shame anymore? Do you remember that feeling? And you felt like you could bounce around the room worshipping God, that you could, couldn't give him enough? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that? That moment, I remember that moment. Hey, sorry, why don't you join me? I remember that moment, the first time. I was about eight years old. And I was, I grew up in a Christian family. And uh, my, my parents got saved a couple of years after I was born. And, and that's an incredible story. You know, I get a buzz off their story. I feel that youthful response to God. But my story was when I was eight years old and we were in a tent in the middle of nowhere and uh, 
And I was like, Mum, I think God's real. She's like, good. <laughs> I said, and I, like, you know when people like do that thing where they make funny noises with their mouth and like, what do they call it? Praying in tongues? <laughs> I remember having this conversation and my mum just sweetly explained it to me and, and she just prayed for me in the tent. She said, you can do that too. Just remember, kids don't get a watered down Holy Spirit. They get the same one as all of us. Wouldn't it be cool? I can't wait. Maya's going to pray for people and they're going to go out in the spirit. And she's going to be four. Come on. Come on. And my mum prayed and sure enough, I was like, in this tent in the middle of nowhere, in the dark. I remember that moment when I was like, oh, I did not choose to make that sound. I remember the moment as time passed by and I was about 15 years old and I had filled my life with rubbish after rubbish after rubbish, bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. I started running away from Jesus. I I pretended it was okay in front of the people that mattered. But I had filled my life with some rubbish. I couldn't have been further from Jesus. But all the while, God's like, I need you to give your everything. I need you to give your everything. I need you to give your everything. And every time I'd make a bad choice, straight away the Spirit of God would say to me, I need you to give my everything. I need you to give you my everything. And he kept going on and on and on at me. And then uh, my parents were pastors and every year there would be like this thing where the, the, the section of churches that we were part of would do a big thing, kind of like We Are One, but it was for a week and it would be like in Pontins. So that was like the best time ever. And um, had my first ice blast there. Anybody else had a night? They're amazing, right? And um, I remember it like yesterday. And, and I remember like all the while there, give it to me, give it to me give it to me and I knew that I was in a defining moment if I didn't choose him my life would be very different right now and I also knew that if I did choose him my life would be incredible but right in the middle I had this full heart that I knew that it meant that I had to empty it I knew that it meant that I had to get rid of all the friends that were heaping junk into my heart which is the most painful thing in the world for a 15-year-old to go through. But I knew. And I said, okay, Jesus, I give you everything. And this whole weight that I, I, was, I was almost bent over under the weight was lifted off me. I remember the moment when God set me free. I remember the moment when he reminded me of who he called me to be in that eight-year-old in a tent. I, I remember that feeling of like, oh God, you loved me anyway. It didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter those things, that, that, those, that places that I was constantly, constantly, constantly reminded of. It didn't matter anymore because I know that you love me, that you've forgiven me, that you've set me free, that you'd already chosen me, that you know my name, that my, my name is written on the palm of your hand. I know all those things now. Do you remember?
those moments. I remember that moment. I remember going home knowing that it didn't matter how many beatings I was going to take from my friends when I rejected them. It didn't matter because I had Jesus. And he made me feel like this. And he called me by name. And I was his. Do you remember that moment for you? For some of you, I love the fact that that was in here, in this room. That first moment when you were like, oh my goodness, this is real. For some of you, it was in your bedroom at home. For some of you, it was on youth camp. For some of you, it was it was in, in church. For some of you, it was just like on your pillow at night. Do you remember that first moment? A tender word from God in a wilderness place makes you able to respond as in the days of your youth. In that excited, I could explode with excitement over God. I could explode with excitement over who He is. In that moment where your heart felt so overflowing with his presence and his tender words that you couldn't contain it anymore. A tender word in a wilderness place makes you able to dance and praise and shout and live according to his will and his purposes, responding as in the days of your youth in those moments. As in the days of when she came up out of Egypt, when she came out of slavery, when she came out of those things that had entangled and controlled her. In, in the days when you come out knowing, hey, I am free. Now what? <laughs> now what? That's what a tender word does. So have you got a control freak's runway? Perhaps you've hoarded a whole stuff that was satisfying but not satisfying for long enough or perhaps you you want to order your world to create this illusion to create this security this false security perhaps you've been avoiding empty because empty doesn't seem like right but actually an empty place where it's all God's it all belongs to God is the place where he speaks tenderly to you and he wants to speak a tender word to all of us today he wants to speak a tender word to us every day but we need a clear runway I'm going to pray then we're going to worship uh, together and that will be our response this morning is that we will just worship and say, hey God, I clear myself, I clear my runway. I I want you to take me into that wilderness place. I want you to take me into that spacious, wide, open space so that I can hear your voice clearly. I'm going to put some things right that I've been controlling in my world. I'm going to start a process of emptying my world. Jesus, I just pray right now that God, that those of us that are responding to this in our hearts, that know that it's time for us to stop hoarding stuff that we think will satisfy, 
stop hoarding certain relationships and, and, uh, and things that are just filling our lives. But they'll never fill our lives as much as you will. Would you start to reveal those things to us? Would you start to open our eyes to that? And God, for those of us that just do not feel safe enough to have things moved around our dwelling place, would you just give us a confidence and assurance that as we step out into that wilderness place, that God, you are who you say you are and you will speak a tender word to us that leads to a door of hope, that leads to vineyards we never planted, that leads to a response as in the days of our youth, as in the days when we came up out of Egypt, out of our slavery into freedom. Reveal that to your church right now. Reveal that to your people. Because we're a people that needs to be a a clear runway a clear runway for all that you have for us a clear runway to know that you are God that you are who you say that you are and that we would live lives that testify towards that we love you Lord Jesus Hey, why don't you just stand to your feet and begin to respond to him. Some of you need to physically put your hands out in front of you and just say, I'm here, I'm open. I want my, my dwelling place is an open place for you to just do what you need to do, Jesus. For some of you, you need to be verbal and just say some things to God. But we're going to respond in these final moments of this service and just say, hey, God, I want a clear runway. I don't want to be a control freak anymore. I give it all to you. So why don't you just start to lift your hands and respond to God. Jesus.